Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is my guest for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Joshua Pentolorosco. I write stuff in podcast too, and today I am a guest on Nathan Ray's show. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How do we know each other? I think I met you Edmonton Expo, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was Calgary Expo. Oh, it was Calgary? Calgary Expo. I was one of the expos. It could have been Edmonton. I mentioned one of those two spots. We talked. We had a pretty good conversation. Uh, you came back to my table all weekend. If I'm not mistaken, off and on. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else, but I, that's how I ever call meeting you. So we met. We connected. We had a good conversation, and we've been friends ever since. Yeah, I went and I uh, got your book, The Watcher. Yeah. You had it signed. I wouldn't say though that we've been friends ever since. More just like we met each other twice and then after that we kind of fell off each other's radar i would say we only kind of reconnected this year in the onset of the pandemic i looked you up on facebook and i wasn't necessarily even looking to connect with you in terms of having a conversation with you i just wanted to see what you were up to what your projects were like and i figured after reading through your facebook posts i liked a lot of the content that you were putting out the problem was i couldn't comment on any of it without being friends with you. And so I thought, you know what, I'll just send this friend request just so that I can have the right to comment on whatever this guy is sharing. It's probably going to be ignored because he has like 3,000 other friends. Nah, man, I'm building my brand. So I I try to say hi to everybody I make friends with. I don't always get a conversation back, but it's social media, right? So you're supposed to socialize on some level. So that's kind of what I focus on. Like, I try to be approachable. I try to be friendly. I try to encourage people to follow their dreams. And that's kind of been my thing pretty much the whole time. I mean, it's why my podcast kind of exists. So how exactly do you keep everything in check, though? Like the average human, they're only built for like 150 relationships, right? I moved around a lot when I was a kid. I was born in Oshawa, lived lived in Milton, moved as a kid to Windsor. Went back to Oshawa, then went to Park Hill, Ontario, went to London, Ontario, spent my summers in Detroit, Michigan, went to, to a bunch of small towns in the area, around the London area for a bit, stayed in London for in, for my high school years. Then I went to, to Windsor again, Detroit again, Calgary, Phoenix, back to Calgary, and went to Vancouver, and now I'm back in Windsor. So I'm, I've had the practice of just meeting many people. Because I've known better than most that people come and people go. And so, I, and not in like a bad way, it's just life happens. So you try to, when you people are in your life or whatever, for however long they're there, you try to be approachable. Like, obviously, there are people I'm closer with. Everybody's got that core group. But by and large, by and large, you know, you just you just go out of your way to meet people, and it's it's practice. I've been doing it for pretty much my whole life. It's just enjoying the moment while it lasts. I didn't get to that point until I was much older. But the thing about it is, yeah, I, look, I mean, the pandemic's been kind of like a teacher for this. We have a finite amount of time with everybody we meet. And sometimes we literally meet one person once. Sometimes we meet a person many times, no matter how many times it is. We only have so much time with a person and that's it. It's over. It's done with. So the quote, one of my favorite authors, Dr. Seuss, I'm happy it happened. I try to make it as happy as I can be while I I have this moment because I don't know. I don't know that a year 
from now, the friends I made in Calgary were going to be as close. Probably not. I'm going to be doing a different, I'm in a different phase of my life and I'm not there anymore. And, and life's going to go on and move on. But I enjoyed all the times I had with everybody. And I appreciate the fact that I had those times with everybody. I'm not, I've just, I've learned in my older age to be grateful for everything because nothing in this life's guaranteed other than fact me walking away from it. So in terms of making the best out of uh, these kind of moments in your life, let me throw you a bit of a weird question. How has God been working in your life over the last week? Right now he's been shaking, he's been shaking me out. He's like, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. This week was interesting. My computer, after Van Wars Collide, went to repair shop. Got involved in the SIN scan going around. It's a lot more elaborate than people realize. Went through that. Today, Alice Zero got literally pulled off of Amazon. And someone might go, well, these aren't all great things. But what I've learned in life is that there is a right time and a right place kind of for everything. And for everything I was doing and, and growing. And these are one of those moments where God's going to me. Things are going to keep changing. My current situation where I am, again, it has a finite timeline. I'm well aware of that. So what I'm trying to do is I'm taking these internal warnings at heart and going, okay, I hear you. This is what I'm doing. And if it's right, things will kind of work out. And if I'm gone the wrong path, point it out to me. And it's one of those situations where I've learned to listen. God's kicked my ass pretty hard in the past. So, I mean, I've learned to listen. And um, hey, listen, God kicks everybody in the ass. It's just the way it is. It's part of life. About 12 years ago. I literally had my own personal encounter with the shadow of death. Never since that moment, I've had this sense of urgency. And what I have found in these times and these places and, and all this stuff going on is there is a finite amount of time to do anything. Like, I'm very time conscious. I'm not very money conscious. I'm very time conscious. I can't get my time back. So whenever I, I see these these bumps in the roads, these setbacks momentarily, sometimes it's the universe aligning you going down to the right path. And sometimes it's just a, a, a gentle reminder, hey, you only got so much time doing this and you have to prepare for what's next. I'm fortunate right now in the sense that I'm free kind of do what I want, but I've also realized that if for what I want to accomplish, I only have a certain amount of time to do it. And then I have to either change course or I have to just go a different way, right? And so I want to try to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I have a personal goal by December. If I get to that personal goal, I'm set. And then come springtime when I know my time will probably be up, I'll go to the next phase in my life, which might be somewhere else in Ontario. I might go back out west. I'm free to do what I want. So I'm kind of just trying, I'm treating this moment in time like it's a moment in time. And I'm doing my best to ensure that I remember being urgent. I remember being hungry. And I remember just to keep going. That's just where I'm at right now. Sounds good. Before we delve into what that timeline looks like and what your past experiences have been like, let me go into detail about how God has been working in my own life over the past week. It's not nearly as dramatic. <laughs> no, it's okay. It doesn't have to be dramatic. But uh, today I managed to accomplish something that I've been wanting to do for the last three years. For three years, I have been spending every day on Duolingo, learning German. And today is the day that I finally achieved 100% completion in that course. And it's like, 
I've been through so much crazy garbage in the time since then. I've been fired from jobs. I've traveled to another country. And every day, or at least every other day, because there's the system that allows you to freeze your streak, I have just been logging in. I've been doing my lessons. And while I'm not at a level where I'm fluent, I'm certainly at a level where I can look at German text and I can say to myself, I know what this means. And I can speak a few words of German. I know what the sentence structure is like. Do you swear in German? Um, I know how to say scheiß. And that's that's about (laughs) as far as it goes. Because unfortunately, there are two things that Duolingo doesn't prepare you for. It doesn't prepare you to learn the alphabet. And it doesn't prepare you to learn cursing. See, when I've learned languages, that's usually the first thing I'm taught is cursing. I learned this a long time ago. If you encourage people to play with you, people will play with you. So a good way to make a friendship with somebody is, is especially if they speak a different language, can you teach me your dirty words? And they just give like this little grin on their face, like, oh, come on, why would you want to learn that? It's like, because it's fun. And you'll have fun with it. And it's human nature. So what happens is, what I find is, you do that, you learn some broken words, and you learn some swear words, you learn some other broken words, and you and your friend kind of develop this own broken language connection, which is kind of really cool. They get some of your English, they get some of their German, and you talk to each other. And real bonds are formed that way, and it's really, really cool. That's my approach. It's not the only approach you have to take, but that's my approach. And I can speak three languages. I can swear in seven. It's been fun to grow and meet so many interesting people from all over the world. Just simply through swearing. So moving on, you described yourself as an author and a podcaster. How exactly did both careers start out for you? Okay, so I wanted to be an author since I was 13. I entered a contest called the Lost in Literary Contest, which existed in London, Ontario, up until I think five years ago. And basically what was, an eighth grade student would have to write about a moment in Canadian history in London, Ontario. It was a contest, it was a, and the winner would actually receive money. So I came up with this idea about this time-traveling kid in Calgary, Alberta, who knew the future is a funny thing. And I wrote it and I took third place. And I said that I wanted to write. So that was kind of the start. I wrote that novel in high school. I actually still have it. it oh man, I was such an arrogant kid. But I, I, no, I wouldn't say arrogant. More like my edges were very sharp. They weren't They weren't rounded a little bit by life and in a good way. But I decided I want to get into comics. So I started interviewing comic creators on comic websites. One thing led to another. And when I was in my mid-20s, I self-published my first book at 23. And then after that, I got the opportunity to meet a hero of mine, someone I grew up reading. And I ended up working for them for a bit. Hence my brush with death experience was during that time in my life. When it was over and I came back to Calgary, first thing I did was publish that comic book. Like, your, your German was my comic book. I was going through so much hell, and I was just trying to do everything I can to get that comic book done, and I got it done. I was like, thank God I did it. And I was so happy I did it. Comics are hard. For anyone, I, I, comics are super hard. Anyone that finishes a comic, that might be actually harder than a book, but... My second career, I think this is the one where I, I took started taking things more seriously, started happening about five years ago. I wanted to do it all over again. So I, The Watcher is actually the book that started it. I accidentally wrote it. I did a, my first self-published book was a poetry collection way back in the day. And I thought I would do another poetry collection. But somewhere along the way, I was like, you know, what? I want to do a longer poem. I just want to do a longer one. And I ended up thinking about this boy in a tower and these dragons underneath. So I wrote the first chapter and I really liked it. And I go, well, what happens next? I wrote chapter two and I really liked chapter two and I was like, what happens next? 
or chapter three and, and i really chapter three is my favorite chapter in the first book it's really i think one of the strongest things i've ever written to be honest with you and then general chapter four five six and i only get to about five or six i realized that this was my poetry collection this was what i was doing screw it you i was originally thinking this is the way it goes so i wrote it and it turned out fate decided to or destiny or god however whatever you want to call it got into things so i was collecting comics i've been collecting comics i still collect comics and i go to another dimension comics in calgary and i see this fight comics and i see a name of someone i used to work with her name was florence chan she was doing a comic called fight comics and i was like you know i really like her style florence is incredibly talented and I was like, no, maybe I can get her to work for me. You know, like, just get some illustrations in there, get it done. Well, Florence said yes, and I got some drawings from her. And my plan was to get a cover done, and, and we did a little, she did a nice little logo for me, as a, and it was really nice about it. And my plan was to just publish an ebook on Smashwords, and and you know, sell a printed collection at conventions. So what ended up happening there was someone bought my book and it's someone I interviewed a long time ago, actually. And she went to me, this is really good. What is this? And I told her my master plan, which I just told you. She goes, well, I just got a deal with Ingram. I'm starting a publishing house. I'll publish your book. Accidentally got published. Bam, like that. And I got the next two published through Miracle Publishing, which is based ironically out of Windsor, Ontario. And the podcast started under actually least similar circumstances. So I've been doing interviews for 20 years. I would do columns. I've, I enjoy interviews because I get a sense of who that person is. So I got the opportunity to interview Robert J. Sawyer. And Rob is larger than life. It's one of the few interviews I've ever had where I've actually was intimidated at the start of it, which I don't get that anymore. I really don't like I've, I've gotten to the point where I've done so many of them that it doesn't matter who's on the other side anymore so much. But what ended up happening was we had a pretty good conversation and we were in a conference room at uh, Wimbers Collide and Rob sits out. I can't even remember who talked to us. Hey, Rob, what did you do? Rob goes to them. Oh, I, I was interviewed for his podcast. I just had a phone. I was recording the interview on my phone and I was like, wait, I, I, I stopped myself. I thought about this. I don't know how to do a podcast. Could I do a podcast? And that's literally how it started. That episode was episode 20. I, I got some interviews over the weekend. And as in, I've done so many interviews since, I actually realized today, like, I've done 80 episodes this year. And it all started because Robert J. Sawyer said to somebody, oh, I'm being interviewed for his podcast. If Rob had not said that, who knows where things would have gone. Do you think you would have abandoned the podcast far earlier? I never would have thought to do it. I was always a big fan of like, I love Rolling Stone. Like, I love the Rolling Stone interview format when they actually just sit in there and they're interviewing people and they do these conversation interviews. I love those a lot. I think they're great writing, actually. Because you tell they're much more interesting than the standard question and answer interviews. They're deeper. They go into a little bit more depth. They tell a story right which is really cool which is that, that i still love doing those i wish i did more of those to be honest with you but the reality of the situation for me is that i'm interviewing so many people on my podcast that it's taken over i used to do one a week you know i'm at three a week and i'm scared i might go to four someday and at that point i'd be like oh crap what the hell just happened here you become syndicated I am syndicated. I'm on every platform you can be on. I'm on Amazon. I'm on Deezer. I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. And I'm on iHeartRadio as a result of this. Like, I am all over. So I do have syndication. It's kind of one of the reasons why I'm still at the domain I'm at, because I have all that syndication in the RRS feed there. And that's a pain in the ass to move. But uh, yeah, no, man, it, it's been a wild ride. It really has been.
you mentioned that you had a, a brush with death. What did that look like? Was it like a car accident? Was it you walking through the snow one day and did things just went horribly wrong for you? Oh, things went wrong. So I was in Cholo, Arizona. And in Cholo, Arizona, I was 155 pounds, which I'm about 180, 180, 285 pounds right now. Right, which is a little heavy for me, but not horrible. Like if I'm in my absolute tip top shape, I'm around 170 to 175 pounds. That's when I'm in my absolute best shape. I was 155 pounds. I was in a really tough point in my life. I was doing anything I could to survive. So I lost my job in the town I was at. And so I ended up getting a job in another town 20, 30 miles out. It was a night job. So my days would go like during when I wasn't in school, because I was in school at the time too. So my days would be like this. I'd get home about nine o'clock in the morning. I'd sleep till three o'clock in the afternoon. And I would start and I wouldn't have to work till 10 o'clock at night. Three o'clock in the afternoon, I got up. I ate what I could. I left the house. I would do whatever was in my power to get to the city of Sholo from where I was. And I would have to literally walk to from wherever I ended up in Sholo, I would end up walking to work. There was no bus service that night in the evenings there. So... It got really, really, really hard quickly. I was just burnt. And even during the year I was there living in town, I didn't have a car. So I was walking everywhere, doing everything. So I had slowly worn myself down. My teeth had cracked and busted. And I was punishing my body pretty hard. I was also really ridiculously angry with the way circumstances had kind of gone up there. It one of those one of those lessons in life I told you where God will beat your ass until you get the message. I didn't belong there. And I needed to go. And I probably should have actually left, left probably when things fell through. But I was so determined to prove myself. Pride. I wanted to feel like I accomplished something. Instead of just taking my failure and failing fast, I decided to fail as long as possible. So we got to about March. It's March 2019. Not 2019. 2009. And I look into the distance. I'm just walking home. I'm living in the city finally. Uh, it was just before I got fired from that job which is ironically enough and struggling just so hard just just to maintain i was physically spent mentally spent i was slowly starving it wasn't like i wasn't eating i was just expending way more energy than what i was intaking and it was slowly killing me and i just one day i just look up into the horizon look up i remember i was looking out just beyond the city and i see this specter i'd never seen it before in my life and it's, it's to high distance, it's not close. Because if it was close, I don't think I'd be here. But I knew it was coming for me. And the interesting thing about that was there's no judgment. It was a really weird moment in my in life. It's just like I could die right now. And it's not necessarily a terrible thing. And, that, and that's an, it's a very interesting experience because it's, it's not that, yeah, it's bad, I'm going to die. But it's not, it's not really what it's about. This is about what I, it was my choice keep living or you can just end it here and i realized at that moment i thought a lot i wanted to accomplish and do it was one of the three the other two signs were very small but they were important to me but this one was the big sign that you know you need to change if you don't change this was going to come about and there was nothing i could do about it and you know not long after i lost my job not long afterwards i realized i didn't belong there anymore and not long i finished school that was all i really wanted to do was finish my school and once that was done, I left. But yeah, man, that year was a big life lesson in terms of dealing with failure. 
dealing with circumstances beyond your control, dealing with the fact that all you can do sometimes is keep on keeping on. That's all you can do. And you just struggle in the storm until the storm gives. But it taught me an awful lot about who I was in a crunch. If I might ask two very stupid questions. Did you have a social support system back in Arizona? Yeah, I did. I had friends, but I had no family. This is what happened. I was coming out there to work for that author. It was a dream to work for somebody. Like, you get an opportunity to work for one of your heroes. It's a dream come true. No matter what happens at the end of it, I am internally grateful I got that opportunity. I got to know that, that man as who he was as a person. And despite my other feelings for this individual, there's always going to be a part of me that always respects and reveres who he was because he's, he, again, amazingly talented dude. And honestly, not a bad human being. But there were things and things that happened that, you know, and things that happened since that we're not friends anymore. And that's okay. I don't regret losing the friendship. I wish I had been wiser in my younger, wise enough in my younger years to recognize the situation when I was sooner. Like today, I'd walk away from it so much easier. But I also realized I had to learn the tools. And they've served me very well in this time of my life, actually. It made me ruthless in a good way. You have to be a little ruthless to be a freelancer. I wouldn't have been as ruthless. And that's a good and bad thing. It was a hard lesson, though. And, you know, at some point, you know, those dirty feelings hopefully get resolved. But if they don't, I'm grateful for what I learned from them. So from there, I'm piecing things together. So from there, you were able to go back home. You were able to start up the podcast. You were able to accidentally write this book. What have things been like for you since then, since your life has started this recovery process? I'm a very different person than when I started. When I started, I was very, like when I got to that experience, I was grateful I went through it. I'm a man that doesn't have very much and is okay with it. I don't define myself by what I have because I know what it's like to have absolutely nothing. And honestly, in an odd way, the luxury of having nothing, it's actually a great luxury and people should go through it once. It's actually great. It frees you from so much BS. I would beg to differ. No, no, no. Okay. There was a part of my life where I was, I really felt like I didn't have a lot. And I am grateful that I went through that experience because it taught me to be resourceful. It taught me the attitude of delayed gratification. With that said, though, it was still an extremely stressful experience. And it's, it's like, I'm glad I went through oh, it. No, 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 no. But you're glad it's over. Right? Yeah. yeah, I get that. No, for me, I had to let go. The third thing, everything I had where I was, I had to let it go. There was very little I carried with me from that time to Calgary. Like I was able to save a very, a tiny fraction of what I had thanks to my family. But by and large, like honestly, there, there was a point in that whole thing. You just cut your losses and let it go. And that's and go, you know what? I don't really need any of this. It's great. The importance of failing fast and acknowledging when to cut your losses. That was a very important lesson for me. For me, I don't need much because the biggest advantage having nothing has is simply the fact that you have nothing to lose. There's nowhere to go but up. And on top of that, you don't have any, you got nothing to be afraid of. You're already at the bottom. You got nowhere to go but up. And then, and like, you're only really bulletproof twice to two points in your life when you have nothing and when you have everything. They're both incredibly strong positions and everything in the middle 
right, is where it gets dicey and when you have to gamble and when you're like, oh, I might lose this to get this and, and that and that, right? But when you have absolutely nothing, when you're not even sure, like I wasn't even sure where my next meal was coming from on a couple of those days. It's like, okay, I'm, I don't know when the food's going to come. I'm going to get something, but I don't know what. And again, the skills of learning what to do, how, to, how to feed yourself on 20 bucks for a week, right? What's possible, right? It's like, how do you do that? You can. It's actually really, really cheap to feed yourself if you really want it to be. You don't necessarily want to do it that way. But yeah, I mean, you, you can do it, right? Right, right? But the thing about that is you eventually come to the point where you're like, I have nothing. So I got nothing to lose. And that's a great power. The only thing that can, I can, uh, comes close to that is when you're in love. That's insane in a, in a completely different way. When you when you have nothing, and you have all the and you just you just you're facing that adversity, you find out who you are. That doesn't mean hey, I want everybody to go through that, but there are lines of poverty. And when you are at the bottom, right? When you are at the legitimate bottom, you just realize you have nowhere to go but up. And it's up to you. I mean, it's up to you. You gotta have the hunger to do it. If you do, you will. Right? And that's kind of that's kind of what I learned in that time. That's why I call it the luxury of having nothing. Yeah, it's stressful. You don't know where anything's up or down. But you learn very real quick who you are because all you got you. All you're seeing in the mirror is you. It forces you to evaluate who you are and what you want. And most people don't really consciously know those things. So when you're in those moments of adversity, as stressful as it is, as you can figure out whether you're diamond or dust. That's how much pressure is on you, right? It's also a very blatantly honest point in your life. There's, it, it's brutally honest, right? Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. And it definitely rings true to the experiences that I've been through in my own life. You don't want to be there every single day of your life. But going through that once is actually not a terrible thing. It, it teaches you so much about yourself. And people would not be so rattled, I think, today, quite as much today, uh, right now. Because you can you can kind of tell when people go through, have been through it. So, obviously, I, I um, there's a certain like that kind of adversity is it, 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 it you can see it in how people are driven and how they push themselves. And that's you know and those are usually some of the most amazing people too. Do you think like seeing how everyone is experiencing all of this poverty and trauma at the same time? Do you think that we as collective civilization? around the world, we're kind of reaching this point in our own lives where we're forced to focus on what actually matters, what we actually want in life. Yeah. Like, look, I mean, where we're at right now is an interesting point in history because it only traumatizes you for so long. And at some point you're going to realize like, well, I got to keep going. Because I mean, in one very real sense right now, the world has not changed, right? You're going to wake up one day, you're going to die when it'll probably be painful because most of life is painful. It sounds depressing and bleak, but honestly, I mean, let's, let's be real here. You're not going to walk away from life. Something is going to kill you. Maybe you die of old age. Maybe your heart stops. Maybe you spontaneously combust. One day you're going to go somewhere else, like whatever the case may be. The fact that COVID exists and can kill you is no different than anything else that has come before in one very real way. It's a new way to kill you. And that's why it's scary because no one knows there's no answers to it right in this moment. But honestly, it's not that different than when, you know, the flu hit. It's not that different when, you know, H1N1 or, or the Chinese flu or West Nile virus or Ebola or, I mean, it's 
another disease. And it's in one way, it's no different than everything else. In another way, it's very different. It's worldwide. We haven't seen anything like this in a long time. But in some ways, the world's the exact same place it always was. All we're being reminded of, I think, more than anything else is we don't have control of it. Like, we just, we don't. Like, control is the true illusion in this world. We don't have it. So before this pandemic hit, what did you think you wanted in life? What did you think you were in control of? Uh, I, 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 I've already had my ass kicked, so I know I'm not in control that much. So, I mean, I, I, I was already like, like this one thing. When we got to COVID, when COVID happened, I immediately went into stage five of group acceptance. I, I really didn't care. And I, I know that sounds really callous. It's not that I didn't appreciate that the virus was a threat, but ladies and gentlemen, it was simply that I did not let it rattle me. Like when I, I thought about this like this, what has really changed? Not that much, right? What's, what's going on? It's this reminder that everything is volatile and that sometimes things happen beyond your control. Seriously, I literally watched myself literally go from Vancouver to Windsor. As a result of this, I want to go see my family. And I quit my job one month earlier than I planned as a result of it. So before the pandemic, my plan was I went to Vancouver. I was going to save my money up for six months, right? I was going to get to the, myself in a position where I was going to be solid so that I could get myself set up for about a few months. And in a few months, and when I got set up for a few months, I quit my job, see if I can get myself into the film industry, work on some film crews, but also freelance, right? Freelance everything. Like I went to Vancouver to pursue my creative life. I wanted a creative life. When COVID hit, well, the film industry shut down, which meant that Vancouver's appeal to me was gone. I couldn't do what I wanted to set up to do. I could do everything else though. I could freelance right. I could keep doing my podcast stuff and I could just do my thing. And that's what I've been, been doing. Where I am in a little bit, it forced me to focus on just a couple of things. Whereas if I had been in Vancouver through this time, I would have done many things. Maybe I would have been a film crew on a TV series and maybe I would have ended up hating it because it just ate up all my time. Maybe I would have just, it would have failed miserably. Maybe I would have just gone a couple of movie productions, would have just hated that whole process and gotten out. What the hell do I do in Vancouver now? I don't know. It's one of those situations where you recognize that, okay, that plan was gone. What can you still do? I can still do lots. Roll with it. And I went back to Windsor because my family's here. And I figured, well, during this pandemic, I'd spend time with my family. And that, that was the plan. Do you think you'd ever want to go back to Vancouver and pursue that dream of working in the film industry? Or has it just been like, you've been able to take a step back and realize it's not really what you wanted? I'm torn. Well, here's the thing. I'm about four hours away from Toronto. So I could actually, if I want to, next year, I could try the film industry out in Toronto. And I might, I still might try it. I'd like to do it before I'm 40. There is a part of me that during my 40s and 50s, I'd like to make movies. But before I do that, I think before I even think about that, I'd want to focus on my writing goals, focus on my podcasting goals, focus on my audiobook goals, and make it to the point where I'm making enough money as a creative on my own, where this time next year, I'm booked to the moon, and I'm free not to just do pretty much what I want to do. And that's my goal. My end goals did not change very much. That, like Maybe as far as Vancouver goes for the time being, I don't know, maybe I don't go back. I don't think I do go back to Vancouver. I might go back to BC someday, but I don't know if I go back to Vancouver. 
I might end up, right? I think I, I end up in Ontario for a little while longer. Maybe I go back towards Toronto. Maybe I stay around Kitchener Waterloo for a bit. Maybe, I don't know. Like, I like uh, honestly, where I go has always been kind of a mystery to me. Like, I, I get what I want. I know who I am. I kind of have an idea why I'm here and what I'm living for. But that the where am I going thing, I'm like Alice in Wonderland. I don't really care where I go, so it doesn't matter which direction. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's weird. Um, I've never really thought about a place as home. I can understand that feeling. What would you say are your current goals when it comes to writing and podcasting? And you mentioned that there was going to be a time where you transitioned to another season of your life. Would you be willing to share what that looks like? Well, I don't want another day job ever again. I'm at that point in my life. I don't want to do it anymore. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at everything, all the skills I've acquired. And I started an audiobook. This I've been doing podcasts for a very long time. I've got, as of today's, recording 409 episodes have aired of my podcast i have approximately 350 hours of recording experience one thing i did this year was i was thinking about in march on the 14th of march when everybody was reeling from covid i was reading my first bit from the cloud diver because i was looking at c.s lewis and i recognized the fact that c.s lewis during when world war ii in london was being bombed was on the radio reading out loud what would eventually become near Christianity. And he would do that like over an hour every week on the BBC. And it helped people with the war. And I thought, you know, what a powerful thing that actually is. He told his story, was told to said the things that mattered to him in the face of incredible adversity. London was being bombed. This was the battle. If England had fallen, the Nazis probably would have won World War II. But this was the uh, this was the battle of the soul of Europe. And yeah, it was one of those situations where that's an incredible thing. It's, and I realized one of my favorite authors, science fiction authors, is John Paul Fox. And one of my favorite quotes from him is, art is an expression of hope. So I thought, what I really am doing at this point in my life is I'm trying to express hope in a variety of ways. So I set myself goals for the podcasting, goals for the audiobooks, goals for the writing. My goal is to release three books this year. I released one, two is coming. Three, hopefully will be out by the end of this year. But even if it goes early next year, I'm regularly releasing books. People can buy them. Two, keep the podcast going. Go to three a week. The third one, I would read my story and I would invite other authors to come read theirs because it's hope in a time and place of struggle. And honestly, it's been quite surprising how well these stories have done. Number three, I would take what I learned with when I'm reading my story and offer my audiobook services to people. Because if I must do something creative, and I'm, as I'm going to get myself known as a writer, I'm already known as a podcaster. So why not take my expertise and help authors tell their story? It's what I do anyway. It's not that much of a stretch from what I already do. So why not do that? Why not help other authors tell their story? Why not not just telling my story, but spread hope as far as I can? Sounds good. So if I might piece things together once again, is the plan for you to continue putting books out and then next spring you'll be going to Toronto and maybe you'll get work in the film industry? I don't know if I go do the film industry next year. Like that's the part I'm really not sure about. I don't know if I do the film industry because my goal with the audiobook business is to get 20 clients. I got one so far. I'd like to get one more this month before the month's done. If I get one more before the month's done, that means as a freelancer, I will be making a living wage next month, which is pretty cool, right? But I'm also hoping the work I do this month and the next month 
will lead me to get more work. When I get to 20 clients, and also I might get, like, I've also been contacting other people to voice stuff too. So I got some pretty amazing people that have agreed to read stuff for me and even the, the right project comes up. One person blows me away. I, 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 I remember reading her when I was a, a kid and now I'm, I'm talking to her as a friend, which is, I think, incredible. But if I do what I'm doing, that's going to take up a lot of my time. But then I'll be free to write books I want to write. I'll be free to interview people I want to interview. And I figure it's going to take me six books is what I figure. Six books before I really start seeing money from that and from what I want to do independently. And I have like, I have all these goals on both those ends that at this point, I don't know if there's room for movies right now. But what I would like to do is get to the point where, where I'm down the road where I'm just doing my thing. And if I do my thing, I have the time. I carve the time for myself for everything else. So maybe, you know, I get myself into a position where I got so many different things happening and coming in that I'm now free to pursue my film goals. I'm free to pursue my, just all the goals I have. Because again, I, I look at it, I have many things I want to do in this life. And I've been film crew before, so I know what that experience is like. Right, I would love to do it to get back into the industry, but if I can, if, but if, if I create my own door and I just do my own thing, I'm good with that too. You mentioned that you were releasing three books this year, or at least that was the plan. Could you give a brief synopsis of what each book is about and what inspired you to write them? So the first book's already out. It's called The Cloud Diver. First novel. It's The Matrix meets Indiana Jones. One of the things that fascinated me about us today is that we everything's recorded you have instagram twitter facebook we do pictures we talk we communicate and all this stuff's written down and recorded and it occurred to me that one day all this physical stuff we see is going to be gone it's going to be replaced by whatever it's either going to be landfill or it's going to be who the hell knows like i couldn't tell you what the world's going to look like in, in 50 or 100 years but what i will tell you is that most of our archaeology is going to be digital i'm like that's a cool thought so what if there was somebody that explored the hidden treasures of the world from the digital realm? So I, got, I love The Matrix. I love Indiana Jones. Put them together. Yeah, fun. It's the first one. Alice Zero, which is going to be out imminently. Uh, I've, had, I've had some ups and downs with that this week, but that's just part of life. So Colleen Anderson, an editor, pretty well-known editor, asked me to do an epic poem for one of her anthologies. It was a Lewis carroll anthology. And I was like, well, what the heck can I say about Lewis Carroll that hasn't already been said. And I remember meeting this very pretty woman with a Gorgon tattoo at a bar. And I had this idea to, like, I'll put you in it. Yeah, I'll make you, because again, Gorgon, Medusa, I make the equivalent of Medusa. And suddenly along the way, I just realized, oh my gosh, I have my, I have my, um, I have my story I can tell. Alice in Wonderland is Greek mythology. What if Alice was Pandora? It works surprisingly well. It's just like you take a Greek tragedy out of local, it had some moments. So in the story, Alice opens the box and and all the evils of the world come out, but also she's got a, now a visitor inside her head, a Chesh, certain Cheshire cat is inside her head. And I love the dynamic there. It's been fun to write. And the third one, I love Parker. I love the old Parker novels. I love the hired gun with a conscience kind of concept. And I decided that, or a code of honor at the very least. So that led me to this idea, well, what if, could a bad person become a good person? And so I came up with this character, and her name's Corey. And Corey used to be an assassin for the government, this empire parallel universe. So it's like a parallel universe Parker that slays dragons. And that's my third one. And so first one, 
the I love video games. I love The Matrix. I love Indiana Jones. So it's almost like archaeology based. The second one, I'm playing with Alice in Wonderland. How can you not have fun with that? And third, I love Parker. I love the idea of that kind of character. And it's someone I could also write for as long as I wanted to. And it's, it's my love letter to Pulp. So I'm I'm basically, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to hit all three of those niches. And I'm going to have a blast doing it. What was your creative process like writing these novels? Alice was a poem, epic poem, much like Watcher, Watcher Storm Dancer, Wandering God. So initially I wrote it for Spectre Colleen. I've expanded it slightly. It's still a preview. The next book's going to be the one where I play with the format a lot. I did something a little different with this long term, but that's more design. The effect, the story is about, you know, someone seeking a, a cure. And that's really what the way Alice and Pandora is, cure for all the evils in the world. So that one's that one. Currently with the Cloud Diver, that one is also kind of an accident. That was another accident in my life. So Ifwa asked me to do readings. So I said yes without having written a single word. So I came up with this idea real quick about what I wanted to write and read. And it got a laugh out of everybody there. It was entertaining, entertained people. So I, I kept working on it. And I longhanded it. First draft was completely in longhand. The second one was typed up. I went through an editing process. It didn't go so well. And then I did another draft. And then I went to an editor I really do admire. Ellen Michelle's awesome. And after that, I learned some things about the novel writing process I didn't before. And so what I'm doing now with the Corey novel is, which is what I'm writing right now, is I'm plotting it a lot more. I have the formula in my head. So now it's just like all the steps to her to get there. And then all the while, I want to get a real sense of who she was and who she is. And, and it's about who she wants to become. And it's about the good and the bad with that. And it's a dirty novel. I have a lot of fun with this because it's a really dirty book. And I enjoy all the stuff I've seen in my life that just makes me go, I'm trying to put that L in there. I think there's this idea of like the, the need to redraft, the need to spend so much time on these stories just to make sure that they all work together as a cohesive narrative. You mentioned that you're very time conscious. How are you able to balance writing, let's say, a 40,000 word novel between hosting your podcast, doing freelance work on the side? Okay, so my day in my life, I wake up, I pitch for about an hour, two hours, I just pitch. My rejection collection is growing quite nicely. During the afternoon, I write. Doesn't matter how little, how I don't have a set word count. The only point is I'm working on it. That's all that really matters. Evenings, so evenings vary. Some evenings, I'm just putting podcasts together. I'm also doing the audiobook now, my first client. So that that's fitting in as well. Some evenings, I'm working on that. Some evenings, I'm working on the podcast. What's probably going to end up happening over the next little while is I'm probably going to take a day and do all my podcast stuff in one day and just release it throughout the week. Probably going to happen one day a week where I just do, that's all I do is podcast stuff. And then the rest of the week is, is going to be pitch, write, record. Pitch, write, record. Pitch, write, record. Repeat and just keep repeating to various degrees of success each day. Do you ever give yourself a break or do you think that you can't afford to do that right now? I do give myself a break. No one can go 100%. But this is an interesting time because there is a bigger reluctance for people to mingle with each other right now than there used to be, right? So getting a date's kind of hard right now. Love to be at a date right now. But besides all that, besides that, I go to the river, I walk a lot, I read, I watch fairy tale. I have not done a lot of the splurge watching a lots of other people have done. I don't have time for that. But what I do do is I, I have two series I have at home. One is fairy tale. I'm on volume 10. 
I haven't done a single series yet. Although to be fair, Fairy Tales like 200 episodes, so it's not like I haven't done, you know, a lot. So there's that. The other part about it is I am a bit of a workaholic. That's my kryptonite or downfall. So I've been very self-conscious over the last few years to be like, okay, listen, you don't really feel it today. That's fine. You don't need to feel it today. So don't. Just do other stuff. And that's what I do. I just do other stuff. I don't worry about it so much. I don't feel like a failure if I'm moving forward. The concept is I do set goals. I don't always have to hit them. The important thing, like I said, is about just going forward. It's not about getting it all right. None of us do that. It's just about going forward. It's like making that effort each day. I have eight rules to success. Rule one is show up. Rule two is do your shit. Do your thing. Whatever that thing is you need to do, just do it. I can give you the rest of the rules, but those are those are very important. Like if you can do just those two things, show up and do your thing, show up and do your thing, show up and do your thing. Not every day you're gonna succeed, not every day you're gonna you're gonna bat a thousand, but if you could just take a swing at the bat, you will accomplish far, far more than you realize without even trying. I wanna hear more of these eight simple rules. You wanna hear them all? Yeah. Rule one, show up. It's amazing how simple this rule is, and it's amazing how many people break this rule. It is such a simple one. Ladies and gentlemen, show up. If you want to succeed, just show up. You will beat 90% of the people you do just by doing that alone. Do your thing. Whatever that is, just do your thing. You know what you do, just do it. Rule three, don't quit. It's the cliche, but it's absolutely the truth. You don't stop until you're dead. Right. Or you, you don't stop until you, you don't want to do it no more. Like you like, like basically just don't quit. Just, it, it's so simple, but again, it's hard to do. It's the one rule I actually of all of the rules. It's the one rule. I understand why people break it. Rule four, the rest is rain. So I can't control how the rain falls. I can't control how the leaves blow. I can't control that the sun comes up. I can't control the fact that it sneezed. There's a lot of things in this life you have no control over. The best thing that you always remember is just prepare to succeed as much as possible. Not for failure, as if we all know how to do that, prepare for success. Which leads to rule five, get out of your own way. This is the other rule people break the most. One in five. Five is the toughest of them because once you start succeeding, you start seeing expectations are built in on you. And you have to remember what brought you to the dance. What you have to remember in that is what works, Know your strengths, know your weaknesses. Don't put yourself into positions where your weaknesses shine. Put yourself in positions where you can succeed and get out of your way. Just let what's going to happen is going to happen. There's a pause of not being in control of everything. Good things come your way. Be smart enough to see them. Rule six, no excuses. Pretty straightforward. Doesn't work out, you're going to fail. Don't excuse it. Don't excuse, excuse your failure. Learn from it. Rule seven, be grateful, be charitable. No matter how bad things get, there is some good that comes from it. Be grateful for the good things in your life, whatever they are, and move forward. Rule eight, stay uncomfortable. You don't need to have the adversity of poverty and starvation to move you. But you have to be smart enough to recognize if you're comfortable, you don't change. If you want to change your life, you want to get yourself into a better position, you have to be willing to go out on a limb and take some chances. And if you don't, you'll never grow. You'll never discover what you might be who you can become. That's it. Those are my eight rules. Those are pretty good rules. One last question yeah. before we wrap everything up. Is there anything that you want to plug yeah. and or self-promote? Oh, good Lord. Let's do this in order. 
just joshing airs on practically every podcast app you can imagine three days a week usually tuesday thursday saturday due to the this week's computer meltdown it's going to be every other day probably until the second week of september and it will go back to its tuesday thursday friday format two days a week i interview a guest one day a week story time featuring me reading from the cloud diver for the time being and some guests reading from some other cool things guests of like that have included fonda lee josephine lore susie Bidori. People like that have come on. Also, first-time authors are great. Neil, first-time authors, established pros, all come to read. Music's also been done on on there as well, and there's always room for surprises. Number two, Cloud Divers are currently available now. It's exclusive to Amazon for the time being, but we'll be going wide in October, officially. And I will stay tuned for a release day announced on that when it goes wide. But the book is available now on Amazon. Buy it. Tell people why you love it. And it's awesome and made of cheese. That would be awesome for me. Number three, Alice Zero, which will be coming out September 7th. I'm going to say, I can't look at the calendar. Let's do this right. Calendar says, no, September 8th. It'll be out September 8th. It'll be my second book. It's Alice in Wonderland's Greek mythology, Alice Meets Pandora. And finally, I have an audiobook service that I've just opened up. So if you guys want to have your story told, I provide recording services. I'll voice. If I don't voice, I can get other people to voice for you. I produce and I master final copies for Audible and for upcoming with Spotify. My webpage is jpantelaresco.wordpress.com. Go there for more details. And beyond that, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm pretty much the only Josh Pantelaresco, so come say hi. I'll say hi back, I promise. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Even though we're clearly not the same, like just hearing your life story, hearing what you've been through, hearing what you're trying to accomplish in your own life at the moment. I don't know. There's a lot that I feel strongly familiar about in terms of like what's happened in my own life and in regards to what I want to achieve in my own life. And like, if you're a vision of the future of what I'll end up looking like, including the messy hair and the beard. Oh God, don't aspire to be me. I'd be better than me. Though, so, I, I mean, look, if I can give you one piece of advice, this is the best piece of advice I'll give you. So God, there's a Bible verse. One of my favorite Bible verses is, many are called, few are chosen. Another way to look at that is, many are called, few choose. Don't be afraid of the expectations of your success. Success is actually far scarier to most people than failure. And the reason being is because success, people are familiar with failure. Everybody's falling off the bicycle. I've been knocked on my ass in the wave pool. I've had things happen where it just didn't go according to plan. We all know what that's like. But when you succeed at something and you do something well, people expect you to keep doing it well. Give yourself the belief, more than anything else, the belief that you're in the right place at the right time doing what you're supposed to do. And answer that call in your heart. And if you can do that, you'll get somewhere. Not sure where you'll get exactly, but you'll get somewhere. And maybe, just maybe, I'll be going to you. So how did you do it? Can you give me notes? You never you never know, man. True. See ya. This has been Because We're Not the Same, a podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray, with special guest Joshua Pantelaresco. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.